going to be a blessing to all nations. Abraham believed this. It involves them relocating and God separating out this people. And so it says in verse 10, look at this very carefully. It says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Did you get that? It has not a tent. He's been living in tents like a foreigner, not having a place to settle down, even though it was the land promised to him. He didn't really get it. It was all still out there. But he was looking for more than just that. He was looking for a real place that has foundations, whose designer and builder is guess who? Well, are you reading it? God. You're supposed to be following along. And then it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. It goes into this whole thing about the promise to her that she, even though she was past the age, she conceived and this promised son was born. And then through him, already by this time that this is written, yeah, there were descendants. I mean, like, like the stars or like the, the sand on the sea. It's just like you can't really count them all. Okay, that's the idea there. Now drop down to verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. That is, they were still trusting God not having received the things promised. Did you catch that? When they died, they hadn't received all that was involved in that promise that God made to him that would be fulfilled in the future. But here's what they did do. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, in case you're not getting it, yeah, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. What was it that Abraham was excited about? What was it he was looking for? He was looking beyond. See, Abraham knew a lot more than what scriptures actually tell us. I mean, you know, it, it just kind of it kind of, you know, gives us kind of a, a brief thing here. Abraham understood a lot more, we find out from this. He was looking forward to heaven. He was looking forward to that place. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's a lot more fun preaching about heaven. And so it's going to take more than one Sunday probably to do this. But it's a lot more fun than talking about hell, right? But we need to understand both. Okay? God's gone to a lot of trouble to keep us from being separated from Him for eternity. He's gone to a lot of trouble. Okay, send his son to die on the cross. Bear, hey, bear your sins and my sins and, and pay for them so that we can receive the gift of paid in full. How do we receive that? By faith. That's what we're talking about today. So heaven, what do you, how do you describe it? Well, it's kind of hard to describe, but we'll start like this. It's that place where God dwells, although his presence fills the universe. It is the perfect paradise where we shall live with him in absolute joy. Uh, There's no way to describe because our minds can't get deep enough. Okay, This is just a start. There are notes online, by the way, if you haven't found them. I'm going to cover quite a few verses here, and I don't want you just to hear them and forget them. Uh, So you you can save that. You can meditate on it later. 
So while it's true, you and I may know some people that, I mean, we want to have our focus on heaven, right? That's my, fo- that's my goal. Huh? What's your goal? Is your goal just to, you know, get through this certain thing in life? Is your goal just to make a certain amount of money? Is it your goal? Uh, those are maybe okay goals, but what's your ultimate goal? Where do you have your sights set? Is it just on things of this earth that are going to pass away? Huh? Let's just say you do well, and you get your kids raised, and you make a good living, and you're able to save up. You're still going to die. <laughs> you're still going to die. And you're going to leave it all behind. And then they're going to fight over it, and then they're going to blow it. All that stuff you worked hard for. You know, Solomon talked about that. You know, you work all your life, and you leave it behind to someone who hasn't worked a day in their life hardly. And you don't know whether they're going to be wise or a fool. That's not my words, that's Solomon's. I'm just paraphrasing heavily, okay? <laughs> so anyway, uh, so we still, we got we to we keep our focus in the main place. So I, my focus, my goal is heaven. You know, if you hear, if you hear some tragic news about me, and you know, it's like, oh man, you know, he, 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 he I don't know how it would happen. Well, I don't want to guess, but uh, because, because if it actually happened that way, people say, oh, he must have known. I have no clue. I have no clue how it's going to happen. You know, it's like, it's like that one guy said, I don't fear death, you know, because of Jesus. I don't fear death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just like, it might be messy. I don't know. But, but anyway, it will happen. It will happen, you know, sometime. Right? And uh, so, so then, then what? Huh? Well, you could say, you know what? Well, that's maybe, and I, I, and I hope that maybe in some sense it could be sad. But you say, you know what? Goal! He reached his goal. This is the goal of life is to be with the Lord. I mean, actually in the presence of, face to face with our Savior. There is nothing better than that. So that's why we celebrate it, even though we're going to miss people. Now, I know that there are some people that you might say are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. You ever been around somebody like that? Talk about get on your nerves. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it applies to people who can, tend to be a little bit self-righteous, you know, wrapped up in themselves and what they've done. Well, the truth is, though, let me tell you what truth is. The truth is this, that without heaven on our minds, we can become absorbed and totally consumed with the fading things of this world. And we end up frustrated and depressed, and we have the wrong priorities. It's not that we don't pay close attention to all the things God has given us to manage, but I'm just saying, if we don't, if we don't keep this in mind, uh, we get totally wrapped up in that, and we forget about the bigger picture. Amen? All right. So for Abraham, what I'm hearing here is it was motivation. It was a motivation for him uh, and his family. When they were thinking about that city whose builder and designer is God. A heavenly one, in case you don't get it, he says. I think that's great. So he trusted God. That is, he had faith. He journeyed to the land that God had promised. Yet his faith in God's plan reached a lot deeper than just the promised land. His faith in God involved more than just the promised son, Isaac, who would be born. And even the promised blessing that was attached to that, that through him, the blessing, and we know who that is, that was Christ. Paul lets us know that when he said, in your seed, that Paul points out later, uh, writing to the churches, he said that that was singular. He was talking about Jesus. 
that Jesus was the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who would be the ultimate solution to our problem with our relationship with God and sin. He's going to come through him. And I think Abraham believed that. I don't know how much all he understood about it, but he believed. But, but it was even more than that. It was about him dwelling with God where God dwells forever in perfection. We, we get that here. The, the next level. And you know what's true of him is, I think, true of a lot of the great men and women of uh, faith. They were not only trusting uh, in what God would do here in this world, but they were greatly motivated, longing for the next world. We call it heaven. I mean, that's our word. But just so you know, that's, that's what we call it heaven, paradise, whatever. Uh, so here's the thing I find out about me. Are you ready? It's my motivation, too. It motivates me. Does it motivate you to think about this? I don't mean being so heavenly minded, you know, earthly good, but doesn't heaven get sweeter each day as you realize that this world has less and less to, less and less to offer you? Huh? I mean, when you're young, you, you've always been young. You don't know what it's like to not be young, you know? You see the old people, oh, you know, they're old and everything. Um, you know, <laughs> get this. When I moved here, you know, I thought Wayne Dixon was old, right? I did. I did. I am within three years of being the age you were then. Can you believe that? Of course, right at, 30, right at 34 years have passed. And I'm not going to mention the fact that, but we all know, uh, I'm not going to draw attention to this, that Wayne's in his 90s. Um, so, you know, it's like, um, you know, it, it, that keeps me motivated to, to really preach hard, right? Because, uh, you know, he's always right there looking at his watch, right there, you know. Uh, I tell you what, I love Wayne, and, and he's, he's such a part of my life. But uh, time goes by so fast. Life really is a vapor, isn't it? And as you get older, you realize that, you know what? They talk about being over the hill. That doesn't mean I'm coasting. It just means things are downhill from here on, right? That is probably no more mountain peaks. It's just going down. So it could be, but in one sense, as far as, as, as your body, your physical life, may be so. May be. But guess what? Uh, Carl, you were saying a while ago when you walked by about trying to get closer to God every day. And, and I think that's so true. As we do that, as we get closer to God every day, and, and as we grow, there you are, Carl, we grow every day. Uh, our relationship with God gets stronger. We get closer to Him. So uh, the real part of our life just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as we get closer and closer and closer to God. And so we do this right, life actually gets better and sweeter and richer the older we get, and then he comes to take us home. I found out this morning that my, one of my, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Naomi May, she taught my parents, she taught me and my brothers. I don't know how many years she taught at Rosebud, and she taught in elementary, but Miss May passed away, I think this morning, she was 104, and um, she had done well. I mean, when she was in her 90s, she was still volunteering and doing work at the school. They said, you know, all in all, the years that she was involved in teaching and helping at Rosebud Schools is like over 70 years total, quite an influence, but, but she's with the Lord now. And, um, but we're all coming to this time. And so the thing is that ought to motivate us is, is not a, uh, so we don't, we, so there's two sides to this, a fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on heaven. But God has set it up to where you can know. And so 
just reacting out of fear of missing out is not it now. It is a motivation because it is like fuel to my fire because I am anticipating with joy and confidence stuff that my brain can't even process. But I know it's going to be awesome. So it changes my ability both to enjoy this life and endure its hardships when I get a better idea of what's next. The athlete can go through all types of grueling training and punishment and pain because of what they know is out there of, of doing well, of winning the game, of winning the championship, of winning the prize, you know. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to teach even grandkids now as they're beginning to do sports, you know, and some of this is tough and, and all, but, but if you want to do well, it's worth that. Then you feel great, you know, later when you, you win, and, and it's like Hinton, they're, they're doing football. Uh, they're doing him and Red are doing first grade and second grade football. It's, it's flag football, so it's not real. But anyway, let them tackle each other, right? Uh, you get in trouble if you tackle. I mean, what, how confusing is that? I, I, but anyway, uh, so, 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 <laughs> so Hint told me the other day, he said, Papa, I, I caught the ball. I almost got a home run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little mixed up there, but, uh, but you put in the pain for the, for the, the, the joy of what you know is, is the potential. And so it helps me during those tough days, when those times when you hurt, those times when everything goes wrong, those times when um, financially, emotionally, relationships, all of that, you go through hard times, you get bad news from the doctor, you're suffering. I remember visiting my granny, my great-grandma, in the nursing home, and she was weak, and she was near the end, and it was so hard for us. And uh, she was weak physically, but I, I tell you, she was almost giddy. This is the confidence you can have. I remember saying as I hugged her and kissed her and I was about to leave, I said, well, Granny, uh, I'm, I'm, I hope you get better and get to feeling better. And she laughed at me. She did. She was, I'm not going to get better here, but I'm going to be perfect soon. And, you know, for me being a kid, that really spoke to me right? To see someone who's in real time going through, she was in her 90s and she was weak and she knew there wasn't long and she was excited, almost giddy about what was coming. And so that's how it motivates us to endure the hardships and to enjoy life because I can look at some of the, the blessings that God gave me. He's just showing me his love. It's no, if this is good, it's no telling how awesome it's going to be what he really has for us on the other side. So I can enjoy and I can endure. And like Abraham, we get a better perspective. We see how temporary, we see how fragile this life is. We never know when we may be called out into eternity, any one of us. This could be the last time we get an opportunity to gather like this. And, and how temporary all things are. And, you know, we've already, we already know that it doesn't matter if you win a championship, you win a Super Bowl, and you think you've done all of that next year. Nobody cares. It's what we're going to do now. Right? It's temporary. Anything that you have, all the stuff you have, they're temporary. You build a building, all of a sudden you've got to maintain it. It's temporary. Everything tends to want to decay. So we're only, as it says here, pilgrims passing through. We're like aliens. We're exiles. We're, this world is not our real home. We're living here, but it's not our real home. We're just passing through. And so some people live like this is all there is. So we're pilgrims. All right, let's look at some verses now. Are you ready? You guys, I've got several verses. Try to keep up with me back there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says this. He said, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. 
Now, now to look at it means we don't fix our gaze on that, but we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That's from the New Living Translation, which I think it really brings the essence of that out really well. So how do you look at, how do you fix your gaze on what you can't see? How do you see something you can't see? By eyes of faith. That's how. We're not, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. So the things that we can't see. So let me ask you, what's more real? That chair you're sitting on or eternity? Well, in eternity, all the things of eternity that God has are permanent. They never end. All of this is temporary. If something is temporary, is it, it's not as real as something that's permanent. And that's what he's saying there. The things we cannot see will last forever. So I need to be putting my priority in the right place. Paul said, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, actually your citizenship is in heaven. I may live in this world, but I'm not really, that's not my real citizenship, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my real home is. I'm a citizen of heaven. You ought to feel like you're somebody. You are somebody. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of the king. Paul said, and then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now, if you have been raised with Christ, this is, this is a picture of baptism, by the way, right? As we're identified with Christ, this is why we baptize by immersion. The method of baptism is not what saves you, it's faith in Jesus, all right? This is why we do it this way, that, that you, are, you are identifying with Jesus' death burial and resurrection. Just like Jesus died and was buried, I'm identified with that. He died and, and, and paid for my sins. And just as he rose from the grave, we come up out of the water, already resurrected on the inside, a new creature, a new person in Christ with new strength and new power. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, that's what he's talking about. These people have been baptized, and I, I think there's an imagery there. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. So if Christ is my Lord in my life, I want my focus on Him. Where is He? Seated at the right hand of God. Look, look at this. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's exactly what Paul's saying. That's our motivation. I mean, we, we, we take care of things here, but our real focus is what he's saying. Our affection, our minds, our affections are on heaven. Uh, and by the way, I'm not very wealthy but I'm an heir. Scott, you want to sing it for us? Remember that? That's a beautiful song. I'm an heir. I am. I'm going to inherit a co-heir with Christ, with him. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, he says that we are called to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Doesn't matter what the stock market does. Huh? Doesn't matter what happens in the world economy. The inheritance that we're going to have, that we're going to receive because of Jesus, his death is forever. You're an heir. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8, by the way. We got, we got to move on, though, and finish this sermon, right? Don't have time, okay? Amen? Move on? Okay, good. 
All right, so there are misconceptions about heaven. I'm just going to mention that. There's so many misconceptions. You know, because I find out, am I really finding my joy in, of life in Christ and, and in, in what he has for me? Am I really doing that? A lot of times we're not, because there, there are not a lot of modern-day books written about heaven, a lot of Bible study books about heaven. And so it's no surprise that a lot of people's idea about heaven is unbiblical. Now, I taught a whole series on this back in, like, 07, and I found out a lot of our people really had some... Not biblical ideas about heaven. And a lot of them didn't like what I was saying because it, oh, now, come on. I'm like, well, we don't get a lot of info, but according to this, because I have this idea that we're just going to be in some misty, sterilized place. We're going to float around on a cloud, playing a harp, and singing along in some kind of like never-ending church service forever. But we'll just be happy about it. One of our old guys, and I'm going to name who he was, said that. Well, we'll just be happy no matter. I'm like... Really? If this is what the Bible actually said, it would scare me silly. You know, it would. And, and, and I don't think that's, that's not an accurate picture. Never does it say you're going to become an angel. People don't turn into angels. We're going to still be heirs of Christ. The angels will be like, oh, look at you guys. They're going to be worshiping God because of what he's done with us. Right? We're not going to be floating around on a cloud. I'm sure not going to be playing a harp. Now, if you play a harp, more power to you, right? But that's good. Well, I like to hear some good harp music, but I'm not going to be playing one. So, if it sounded like some long church service, I would get in trouble probably. Uh, I actually had a guy tell me one time, I was witnessing to an older person who went to our church, and this was a relative that happened to be there when I stopped by the house as he was on hospice many, many, many years ago. And he said, you know, one of my problems is, as scary as hell sounds, he says, heaven sounds just as bad to me. And he started going into all this. And I said, what if I told you that that is an absolute wrong idea of what heaven will be like? He said, well, I hope so. But it bothered him. And I'm like, wow, his solution was he just tried not to think about God at all or death or anything. And I still don't know if he's come around. Uh, I, I think he's still around, but I don't know if he's come around. But anyway, it reminds me of the adventures of, of Huckleberry Finn. Now, maybe kids aren't allowed to read this anymore, but we read it in school. Are you? Can you? I mean, because it, it uses, you know, language of the day and the grammar that Twain... Okay, anyway... But in this story, Mark Twain, who had not a great idea of heaven, he takes a similar view. Because how many of you read, how many of you read or, or under, know what I'm talking about? Uh, Huckleberry Finn? Yeah? Okay, good, good. I, I'm getting to wonder there for a second. In that story, Miss Watson, remember Miss Watson? I'm getting blank stares. Miss <laughs> Watson. Okay, good. I need something. She takes a, a, a dim view of Huck's fun-loving spirit. And as Huck retold the story, I quote, she went on and told me all about the good place. She said all a body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. Well, I was glad about that because I wanted me and him to be together, end quote. I don't know, but the pious Miss Watson had nothing to say about heaven that appealed to Huck Finn or to me either, okay? But what if, what if she had told him about a place where he could do meaningful and pleasurable things with enjoyable people? That, that's, that's actually a more biblical, biblically accurate picture 
of what heaven will be like. What if she had told Huck about what the Bible says about living in a resurrected physical body that will never age, never get sick, about being with people that we love on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers and mountains and untold adventures. Now that would have gotten Huck Finn's attention. And it gets my attention too. But, but, but sad to say, when it came to heaven, Mark Twain never really got it, I don't think. And so the ultimate source of, there's so many misconceptions, the ultimate source is Satan himself. He doesn't want people to have this right idea uh, about it because uh, uh, it, it, just, it just is something that he uses to keep our attention away from it and being motivated by it. So, so just let me just go here. Um, is heaven real? Uh, yes, the Bible is clear on it. Yes. The Old Testament doesn't give us a lot of info, but they believed in it as well, as we saw with Abraham. Is it real? There is, as the old preacher said, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And what we desire is real. Why don't we talk about it more? Uh, it's like there's so many fuzzy concepts that have been propagated by, by, by bad theology and bad teaching, I think. Um, and, and, and even some wrong ideas are promoted in even songs that people sing. And I know what we mean by it. And, and I still like singing, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Um, <clears throat> you know, and I understand the writer was like, that's, that's, that, that would be great enough. Just build me a cabin in a corner right over there. That's not what the Bible says he's got for you. In fact, he says, you're going to be not in a cabin. You're going to be in my house. In my house, there are all these ways. You're going to be in my house. You're not going to be down the street. You're in my house, God says. This place he's preparing. Jesus said, if I go, I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I am going to come back and get you because I want you to be where I am. That's amazing right there that he wants me to be where he is. So Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist he just needs to convince us that it's a boring, weird place and we just don't, we, we don't want to focus on and be motivated by it. But I want you to know what we desire is real. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> we don't desire to eat trees, do we? I mean, trees are, our teeth are not designed to eat trees. Our digestive systems don't do too good to eat like oak trees and stuff like that. Now, termites, on the other hand, they love to eat trees. And, well, I mean, they just eat it all. They'll get in there and they just chew it up. And, boy, termites are selfish, aren't they? They consume and digest wood in an incredible fashion. Well, God programmed us to desire the kind of food for which we were designed. I'm kind of desiring some right now. Okay, let's wrap this up. And God created us to desire Him. You know, it's been said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us. Um, now, I don't have an appetite to be just have some disembodied experience uh, in a non-physical heaven. What God made us desire and what we do desire is exactly what He promises to those who follow Christ. A resurrected body, a resurrected life. Uh, with a, a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. We're going to talk more, Lord willing, about that next week, okay? So tune back in. Um, now, that's what I feel. I have trouble just feeling at home here. Now, I, I think we catch it sometimes. You ever been, like, on the lake or something, you see the sunset? You just feel like, hmm, 
you feel something. Uh, or up in the mountains, or, or you're looking at a beautiful piece of artwork or a photograph. It's like, oh. That's what I have come up on my computer screen. It's all pictures of, of nature and, and, and just different places on earth. And, and you feel like we feel drawn to something. You ever notice that? We just, there's, I, I think I know what it is. I think, I think the beauty of it, the majesty of it, I, I feel just a touch homesick. I feel homesick. I feel drawn to something, a place that I've not been yet, but I know is there. There's, there's just something more. There's something that draws me. And God has made, God made you for himself and he made you for heaven. And we're going to go through this time. And then one of these days, we'll, we'll, we'll have a mind that can, can process it all. Now, some people say when we want something badly enough, we just um, engage in wishful thinking that what we want exists. But we'll see that the opposite is true. God's design was not that we should want to live on a sin-cursed earth. It, neither float around like ghosts everywhere. It's more like what it was originally like with Adam and Eve as they were meticulously placed in a perfect paradise by God where they could both enjoy it, each other, and Him. Except this is going to be better than that. Remember at the end of creation, God, what did He say? It's good. God said it was good. So if it was good, pardon me, I'm from Arkansas, but this is going to be good. Add a syllable. You want to emphasize something? Add a syllable. So is heaven beyond our imagination? Uh, a, a lot of people believe it's just impossible to know. Well, we can't know exactly. We're, uh, uh, we're just supposed to, some people be like, we're just supposed to trust it. It's just going to turn out okay. Uh, or how about this? It's going to be all right. It's just going to be all right. Sometimes that's all we can say. Or some people think, well, it's selfish to think about it. But here's the thing. If we can't envision it, how easy will it to be to look forward to it? If you can't have anything. That's why he tells us here in Rep- Revelation. Listen to this. I want to start shutting it down with this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1. So the heavens that he's talking about there is like our universe. The heavens. You look out to the heavens. So the first heaven and the first earth, that's where we live right now, <clears throat> had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this is what we might would call heaven, coming down from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's a lot here, but we're just summarizing. We'll come back. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. Anything that could be upsetting, anything that could be sad, is wiped away. You won't remember any of that. In hell, you remember, the worm dies not. They remember. In heaven, all the bad stuff, you get it wiped away. But in hell, they get to remember. And so we're going to be delivered from all of those things. You notice that new heavens, new earth, all of that? 
Well, let me just ask you this as we close. Is heaven our default destination? Are most people going there? Surveys show that in America, that nearly um, uh, you know, 90-something percent of Americans believe they're going to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way that leads to destruction uh, is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way to life, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So according to Jesus, most people aren't choosing this path. And what keeps us out of heaven is universal. It's sin. Heaven's a perfect place. God's a perfect God. Our imperfection, our sin, separates us from God. In fact, he tells us we're all separated. So our default location isn't heaven. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says in Romans 3, 23. Does it separate us? I'm going fast through these. Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities, that's your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. He tells us in Romans 6, 23, wages of sin is death. That means separation. But, (laughs) thank God for that conjunction right there. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid to offer you the gift of what? Eternal life. That's heaven. That's what he died to give you. Heaven's a perfect place. God's perfect. Uh, Let me reiterate what I said. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, folks, that was me. Detestable and false. Except for receiving that gift of salvation and my name being in the book of life. Anything the devil wants to accuse you of, if it's covered by the blood of Jesus, the Bible says there is now no condemnation. And God's going to say, what are you talking about? That's paid in full. Move on. This is what he's done for us. This is what he means for us. And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He said, for our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, his son, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. He was perfect, right? But he put our sin on him. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not just forgiven, I'm made righteous in Jesus Christ. So how do I receive that gift that Jesus paid for? Well, he tells us here. Remember Abraham by faith? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, that's God's graciousness. His unmerited favor, his undeserved favor. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it. But he gives it to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is how you receive it. By trusting Him. You receive God's grace. That's how you are saved. He says this is not your own doing. It's a gift. There's that word again. It's a gift of God. When you get a gift, that means somebody else pays for it, right? Not a result of work so that no one can boast. You didn't earn it yourself. This is what God has done for you. And you can know it. Did you know that? You can know today that heaven's your home. You can leave here knowing that if something happens to you, that you would immediately, as we talked about last week, be present with the Lord, as Paul said. John says this in 1 John 5, 13. He says, 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That word believe is about faith. That's what he's talking about. You have faith. That you may know that you have eternal life. So don't leave here today saying, well, boy, I hope I make it. Well, I hope I get there. According to the Bible, you can know it. You can have confidence. Now, sometimes we have doubt. I understand that. Satan will try to make you doubt. But that, 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 that causes weakness, and, and you don't need that. You need to have confidence. And it's all based on what Jesus did, not on you. It's all about Jesus. So here's the thing. Since I could die at any time, I need to know now if heaven is my home. And you can know. Always think, well, okay, I need to get things straightened out. I need to this. No, all I need to do is trust Jesus. That's all you need to do is trust him. You believe this, trust him. And I want to challenge you, if you've done that, and you haven't ever gone public with your faith, Jesus went public by dying for your sins on the cross. How about you go public with your faith today? I would like to be here to help you, encourage you to do that. Uh, one of the main ways people go public with their faith is baptism. But you can make that confession today if you would like. Let's stand, let's bow our heads, and let's pray. Let's pick you up. And if, there we go. Oh, boy, there we are. All right, so Dakota, not quite six years old yet, is he? But you know what? He's raised in a home where they told you about Jesus, and you started talking about that, and you were ready to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. You've done that, haven't you, Dakota? Yes, he has. And he's ready and excited to follow the Lord in baptism. And so here's the exciting thing. Whenever you give your heart to Jesus when you're this age, it, 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 you can eliminate a lot of problems in life. That if you keep following Jesus, you won't have to go through problems. You just keep following Jesus. That has good things for you. So Dakota, based upon your profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus told us to do. Amen. I told him, I said, don't think about how clumsy I am. Think about Jesus dying on the cross and coming out of the grave. Amen. That's what he said he would do. About how Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's what we're observing here. Just like with communion, how Christ gave his body and his blood on the cross as he paid for our sins. But this is not only about our sins being forgiven. I need that. I needed Jesus to die to pay for my sins. But I also need new life and resurrection, and it shows that as well. So please, if you're ready to be baptized next week, we're going to be right back in here. Perfect time. You may not want to wait till next week. You just let us know. Amen.